It's good to see you this morning. Do you have your Bible with you? Good. Matthew chapter 2 is where you need to go today. Last week we started in on this Advent sermon series. First time I've done something like this in 15 years of preaching. Uh, but because of some experiences I had last year, uh, I really want us to focus and really celebrate Christmas here in 2017. I think Micah Freeze said it well in a tweet a few weeks ago. Um, I think this will be on the board. I shared it with you last week when he shared that Advent begins this week. In an increasingly materialistic environment, Advent is the antidote to consumer Christmas. But then what he says next is highly significant. He said, Advent helps us walk slowly to the manger, celebrating and savoring the simplicity of redemption through the birth of Jesus. And that's what we want to do. That's the effort we're making, is to walk slowly to the manger this year at Christmas. Not to find ourselves suddenly at Christmas time with no preparation, with no anticipation, but to walk slowly to the manger and celebrate every step of the way. So in an effort to do that, we're going to look at a character from the Christmas story each week, try to consider what their encounter with Jesus was like, and then answer the question from the old Christmas carol, what child is this Last week, we looked at the experience of the shepherds in Luke chapter 2. And from their experience and example, we saw some lessons about how Jesus is a Savior for all kinds of people. We talked about how we should follow their example and come and see Jesus. Remember, they went quickly to Bethlehem and saw what the Lord had shown them. And then finally, after they saw, they went and told. And we need to follow their example in that as well. Far too many of us gathered in this room have come and seen the Lord Jesus Christ. We've experienced his grace. We've experienced his majesty. And we just stay there. Um, and the shepherds go out and they tell the world what they have seen. And we must follow their example in doing that. More important than lessons from the shepherds, though, we learned some lessons about Jesus last week. What child is this? That child is the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. The Lamb who was slain and purchased for God with his blood men from every tribe and tongue and people and nation. The Lamb who sits next to the Father and receives the praise of myriads of angels. Myriads and myriads, thousands upon thousands of angels and every saint from all time. He receives praise from all of them. This child is also the good shepherd who lays down his life for his sheep, who calls them by name and they follow him, who, pro who provides for their needs and proves himself to be the good shepherd by protecting them every step of the way. Who is this child? He is the Lamb of God and he is the good shepherd. We learned that from the life of the shepherds last week. Well, this week we're going to talk about those mysterious magi. And so what we're going to try to do this week is walk through the text in Matthew chapter 2, verses 1 through 12, make some observations, and then draw out some applications uh, that will hopefully help us celebrate this year at Christmas time. So read with me in Matthew chapter 2, verses 1 through 12. This is what God's Word says. Now, after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea, in the days of Herod the king, Magi from the east arrived in Jerusalem, saying, where is he who has been born king of the Jews? For we saw his star in the east and have come to worship him. When Herod the king heard this, he was troubled, and all Jerusalem with him. Gathering together all the chief priests and the scribes of the people, he inquired of them where the Messiah was to be born. They said to him, In Bethlehem of Judea, for this is what has been written by the prophet. And you, Bethlehem, land of Judah, are by no means least among the leaders of Judah. For out of you shall come forth a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. Then Herod secretly called the Magi 
and determined from them the exact time the star appeared. And he sent them to Bethlehem and said, Go and search carefully for the child. And when you have found him, report to me, so that I too may come and worship him. After hearing the king, they went their way, and the star, which had which they had seen in the east, went on before them until it came and stood over the place where the child was. When they saw the star, they rejoiced exceedingly with great joy. After coming into the house, they saw the child with Mary, his mother, and they fell to the ground and worshipped him. Then, opening their treasures, they presented to him gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh. And having been warned by God in a dream not to return to Herod, the Magi left for their own country by another way. Let's pray together. Father, we are, we are so thankful today to be gathered in this room together. It's, it's good. It's good to share this time with one another, to see um, the faces of those that we love so much and to hear how their week has gone. But it means nothing. It means nothing if we gather in this place apart from you. And so we are, we are ultimately thankful that you are here with us, that we are gathered together in your presence to worship you, to hear from you, to respond to you. God, we recognize that this day is all about you. And we pray that as we study your word today that you will help us, help us to understand it, help us to respond properly to it, help us to see Jesus more clearly and to worship him uh, more passionately today. God, I thank you for calling these men from so far away, for starting them on this journey that led them to the Messiah. And I pray that you'll do the same thing with men and women and boys and girls in this room today. That you will start them on a journey that leads them to the Messiah. And we pray that not just for men and women and boys and girls in this room, but for men and women and boys and girls all over the planet. We know that Jesus died and with his blood purchased for you men from every tribe and tongue and people and nation. And we know that you deserve the worship of every man and woman and boy and girl on the planet. So we pray that you'll be calling them to yourself and that you'll use us to announce the good news to them. All for your glory. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Amen. So today is going gonna, is gonna to work a little bit more like normal around here where we're going to take this text and we're just going to walk through it slowly. We're going to try to observe what it says and then at the end make some application uh, that can be very practical in, in our lives. So look at verse 1 of chapter 2 in Matthew's gospel. It says, Now after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea in the days of Herod the king. Now we are going to look more at the particular birth of Jesus over the next few weeks as, as we talk about Mary and Joseph. We're going to talk about the birth of Jesus. But the first thing we want to notice in this text is that the scene that we'll study today with the Magi takes place sometime after Jesus was born. It's not that very same night. So it's not as if it's not as if the shepherds show up in one minute and then the Magi show up right after them on the night Jesus was born. No, sometime uh, took place, sometime passed between that night and the day that the shepherd, I mean the wise men, the Magi, appear uh, at the house to worship Jesus. So I want to encourage you to correct your nativity scenes maybe this afternoon when you get home. If you've got if you've got baby Jesus and Mary and Joseph and shepherds and wise men all there together, you can fix that. Take the wise men to the other room, right? Uh, a room 
east of where your nativity scene is set up. In fact, I was talking to my, one of my neighbors the other day, and he said he was going to set up a nativity scene, and he was going to put the wise men in my yard. Um, <laughs> that's a great idea, and will give us an opportunity to, to explain what's going on here. I want you to see, first off, that some time has taken place. In fact, we know this from all of the story. When Herod uh, goes to try to kill this newborn king, he kills all the male children two years and under. So it's up to two years that have passed since Jesus was born when the Magi appear. The second observation we want to make here at the beginning of verse 1 is about Herod the king. Herod the king was a bad man. I, I don't, I, and that, that is an understatement. He was a bad man. He was paranoid. He was insecure. He was violent. He even killed some of his family when he thought they were a threat to his throne. Some of his sons and a wife died at his hands because he felt like they were threatening his rule, his reign, his power. And he wasn't very Jewish. He was known as the king of the Jews, but he wasn't very Jewish at all. In fact, he was more aligned with Rome than he was with the Lord. And I want you to hear clearly, Herod is not the true king. He is not the true king. The true king is, has been born, this little baby. He is the true king, the one that the wise men, the magi, will come and worship. He is the true king. So those are some observations from the first part of verse 1. Read on at the end of verse 1 when it says magi from the east arrived in Jerusalem saying, where is he who has been born king of the Jews? For we saw his star in the east and have come to worship him. The first question we want to answer today is what in the world are these magi? Who are these guys? Well, first thing I want you to see is that the word is plural. The word is plural. We aren't sure exactly how many of these guys there were, but we can say with confidence there was more than one of them because the word that's used here is a plural word. Now, I know that in all of our tradition, in all of our nativity scenes, there are three of them, and we have that because there were three gifts that were offered, but there is no biblical evidence. In fact, that's probably unlikely. It's probably unlikely that there were only three of these guys. There, it was more likely that as far as they traveled, there was a huge caravan of these guys and, and a great many of them. But we don't know that for sure. And if you have three wise men in your nativity scene, that's okay as long as they're in the other room, right? If you have one wise man, that would be a problem. So we need multiple wise men. It's a plural word. But that doesn't really answer the question of who they are. The ESV study Bible, the ESV study Bible, which I hope every one of you has in your home at some point, uh, it describes the wise men like this, the magi like this. It says they were priests. This will be on the board. They were priests and experts in mysteries in Persia and Babylon. And it goes on to say that this term magi was later applied to a wide range of people whose practices included astrology, dream interpretation, study of sacred writings, the pursuit of wisdom, and magic. And I thought it was really interesting that our friend in Central Asia was able to talk about this just a little bit and say that from his studies, it is likely that those guys maybe even came from his town. In fact, he told me, he didn't say this on the video, but he said, there is a temple in my town where I can go and they refer to the priests as magi today like like these guys maybe are still around and that is really interesting to us in particular at first baptist i think because we've got a connection now with that part of the world so they are these experts that are far that are far off from the lord they were gentiles they were not part of the people of god they were gentiles outsiders and they were pagans they were not they were not god-fearing gentiles like we read about in sunday school last week they weren't these people who had this close connection 
to Judaism. No, they were pagan Gentiles who were watching the stars for signs. But these pagan Gentiles had likely had some exposure to the truth of God's word during times when God's people were in captivity. So uh, throughout the history of God's people, there were times where they sinned uh, and they got themselves in trouble with the Lord. And one of the ways he would discipline them was he would bring in an invading army. And that invading army would often take many of them out of their homeland, out of the promised land, and cart them off to some foreign land. uh, And and they would live there amongst those people. And, And it is likely, a lot of scholars believe, that these guys, these magi, heard the truth about who God is and about the promise of a coming king from some men who had been uh, cast out, deported to Babylon, particularly maybe even Daniel and his buddies Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. As they traveled in that circle, interpreting dreams and things like that, they mixed amongst these wise men, these magi from Babylon, and they probably told them about the promises of the scriptures. So they knew enough These magi knew enough about Judaism to know that the Jews were expecting a promised king. And they knew enough about the sky to see that this was taking place. They could see it in the stars. And we're going to talk a lot more about that star. And we're going to talk about their desire to worship Jesus a little bit later on. In fact, that's probably the main point of the day is about that star and how God led them to worship Jesus. So let me just say first that it is quite interesting that God is using something like this mysterious star to draw those who are far on the outside into worshiping Jesus. That, That is his heart, that he would draw men who are far, far away to the feet of Jesus so that they would worship him. Look at verse 3. Verse 3 has a little bit of a different tone. It says, When Herod the king heard this, he was troubled, and all Jerusalem with him. Remember, he's a bad man. He is a bad man who will kill anyone who is a threat to his throne, right? Even even his own children, even his own wife, even his own sons, let alone a baby that he's never met. It may be best to see Jerusalem that's mentioned here at the end of verse 3 as not necessarily a reference to the city and all of its inhabitants, but probably it's best to see Jerusalem as a reference to the Jewish leadership that is in Jerusalem. Those are the ones who are most threatened by a new king. Uh, Those are the ones who are most likely to be aligned with Herod because uh, they wanted to maintain their positions of power and influence. And in order for them to do that, Herod needed to do that. And so they were kind of in cahoots with Herod. And uh, I think it's best to see them as the ones who were troubled and not the entire city of Jerusalem. So their response, Herod and the Jewish leadership's response to the news about the newborn king is not positive. They are troubled by this because it is a threat. He is a threat to their power. So look what Herod does in verse 4. He hears about this, he's troubled, and the Jewish leadership along with him, and gathering together all of the chief priests, this is verse 4, and the scribes of the people, he inquired of them where the Messiah was to be born. They said to him, In Bethlehem of Judea, for this is what was been written by the prophet. And you, Bethlehem, land of Judah, are by no means least among the leaders of Judah. For out of you shall come forth a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. I think this is a really interesting part of the story. Because Herod gathers together the Jewish leadership, right, the scribes and the chief priests, to inquire of them where the Messiah was to be born. 
Now, if he is the Jewish king, if Herod is the so-called king of the Jews, don't you think he should know the Old Testament well enough to know where the Messiah was to be born? But he doesn't. He has to inquire of these leaders. But even more troubling is the indifference of those leaders. He asks them, where's the Messiah to be born? And they simply give him an answer. They say, well, the Bible says he's to be born in Bethlehem, land of Judah, and here's what the prophet says. But they make no effort to go see him. We would expect that these guys who are so familiar, who are so familiar, in fact, that they teach the law, they teach the prophets, they teach the Old Testament to the people all the time. We would expect if they hear that there's a chance the Messiah has been born, that they would respond just like those shepherds and say to one another, let us go straight to Bethlehem then and see this thing that the Lord has made known to us. But notice, they don't. They are completely indifferent to the message. They are completely indifferent to the fact that these magi have traveled hundreds of miles in order to meet this newborn king, and they hear about it, they answer the question, and they go about their business as usual. Their indifference is, in my opinion, terrifying and sad and very familiar. Very familiar around here, and we'll talk about that more in a minute. There are a lot of people a lot of people that we encounter on a regular basis who we tell about Jesus and they respond with complete indifference. That's the way the Jewish leadership responds. But look at verse 7, how Herod responds. It says, Then Herod secretly called the Magi and determined from them the exact time the star had appeared. And he sent them to Bethlehem and said, Go and search carefully for the child. And when you have found him, report to me so that I too may come and worship him. I think this is one of the most overlooked parts of the Christmas story. This part where Herod makes this violent effort to destroy the Messiah, to destroy the infant king. You know how this develops, right? Herod has no intention to, to find the child and go and worship him, right? Herod's full intention is to kill that baby. And when the Magi don't come back and report, oh, he lives at, uh, you know, 7 Main Street in Bethlehem. That's the house you'll find him in. When they don't come back and report that, he, get, he sends a, a squad of goons to Bethlehem and kills every male child two years old and younger. It is a bloody and violent and horrific scene. One part of the Christmas story that we often overlook, but a part of the Christmas story that, that may be more like our experience uh, than, than the rest of the Christmas story. In fact, I want to invite you Wednesday night, Wednesday night at 7 o'clock up in the Fellowship Hall, we're going to watch John Piper read a poem that he wrote that really captures the darkness and the suffering that, of that night, that night when Herod's goons came to Bethlehem to kill all those babies. It is a part of the Christmas story that is dripping with suffering. And there are many of us in this room who are suffering this time of year. And maybe, maybe that poem will be some comfort to us. So Herod's rejection is unlike the response of the Jewish leadership. Herod's rejection of Jesus is not indifference. It is cold. It is ugly. It is violent. And we would be fools if we think that there are not little Herods all over the planet today that there aren't little Herods all over the planet today who hear something of the truth about Jesus and the people who are proclaiming the truth about Jesus and they don't just say, I don't care. They say, they must die. 
they must die. This is happening all over the world right now. Men are standing up in front of some kind of group and proclaiming the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ, and people want to kill them for it. And people are killing them for it. This hasn't gone away. We might not encounter a lot of it in Harrisburg, but we have brothers and sisters around the planet who are facing Herod's every day. And we need to recognize that and join them in prayer. Join them in prayer and encourage them every chance we get. So the Jewish leadership respond with indifference. Herod responds with violence. And then look at verse 9. It says, after hearing the king, or back to the Magi, they went their way. And the star which they had seen in the east went on before them until it came and stood over the place where the child was. When they saw the star, they rejoiced with exceedingly great joy. After coming into the house, they saw the child with Mary, his mother, and they fell to the ground and worshipped him. Then, opening their treasures, they presented to him gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh. That, that's another part of this whole scene. And let's talk about that star now. There are some scholars who will go to great lengths to uh, identify the astrological phenomenon that took place back then. You, you'll hear folks talk about comets and the occurrence of comets, and they will say, this was so-and-so comet that occurred in such-and-such such year, and God used that comet to drive the, the Magi to the child. You will hear people talk about mysterious alignments of planets that take place every so often, and they will say, that's what was going on. Uh, Mars and Venus were aligned together and created an especially bright spot in the sky, and that's what it was. Uh, you will hear people talk about supernovas. I have no idea what a supernova is, so I'm not going to say any more about it. Uh, but you'll hear people talk about all kinds of explanations about what is going on in the sky to lead these magi to the child. They, all, they will give some kind of natural explanation. And if those guys are right, it doesn't make this any less extraordinary in my mind. Like if someone were able to determine with 100% certainty that this was a comet, in my mind, it's no less extraordinary because that comet led them to a particular house in Bethlehem where they found Jesus and his mother and they worshiped him there, right? So, so let's, not, let's not say that some kind of natural explanation takes away the extraordinary nature of this. It is extraordinary no matter what happened. There are one set of scholars that try to explain it naturally, and then there are another set of scholars that say it is simply supernatural. And I, I would line up with those guys more. I think what was going on in the sky had never happened before and will never happen again, and it led them to that particular house in a way that cannot be explained naturally, but we would say God did it. However it happened, God used the stars in the sky to direct these pagan Gentiles from far away to the very place where Jesus was laying. And they worshipped him there. And it is incredible. Notice their actions when they get there. Notice when they show up, it says, When they saw the star, they rejoiced with exceedingly great joy. We read through that and it's so familiar to us because we've heard it in a thousand pageants that we lose just how redundant that is. In fact, John Piper says this is quadruple joy, quadruple joy going on here. They rejoiced with exceedingly great joy, right? He could have just said they rejoiced, right? He could have just said they rejoiced with joy. He could have said they rejoiced with great joy. But no, he says they rejoiced with exceedingly great joy. In other words, they were going berserk. Right? They were going crazy. They saw this star and their questions have been answered and their response is an emotional one. They are full of joy and full of rejoicing and we need that. 
We need that at Christmas. We need that when we see Jesus. Our response, one of our responses, emotionally, affectionately, should be joy. Let's rejoice with exceedingly great joy. I got together with some guys this morning to pray, and, and sometimes when we get together on Sunday morning, we share a lot of heavy stuff and, and, and weighty needs and things that are going on that really are troubling our hearts. But this morning, there was a different tone. There was a markedly different tone. We had heard good news from our friends in Central Asia about their exit plan and how, how they've got tickets and they've got a plan and they've got a schedule and, and they, should be, they should be in the United States Saturday. Saturday. By the end of Saturday, they should be in the United States. And so that was great news. We were talking about babies that have been born. There's tons of babies, new babies around here, and we were rejoicing over that. And uh, just lots of good stuff. And I said, God, thank you so much for the tone of joy. Because that's what the Magi experienced when they saw the star. They rejoiced with exceedingly great joy. But notice what else it says. It says, when they saw the star, they rejoiced with exceedingly great joy. And after coming to the house, they saw the child with Mary, his mother. They saw the child. They, they rejoiced over the star. But imagine, imagine their rejoicing when they saw the child. So far they had just seen the star, but now they see the child and they rejoice over him as well. In fact, they go beyond rejoicing. It says they fell to the ground. They fell to the ground recognizing that they were in the presence of someone infinitely more important than they were. And they were pretty important dudes. They were pretty important people in their culture. And yet they bow themselves and they give gifts to this little baby. They fell down, they worshipped him, and they gave these gifts. And I just think that's a good pattern for us. I want, I want our Christmas celebration to be marked by that. Rejoice with exceedingly great joy. See the Lord Jesus Christ. Fall on your face. Worship him and give your gifts sacrificially to him. That's a good pattern for an encounter with the Lord Jesus Christ, I think. Notice also, just, just because we're Protestants in this room, it says, after coming into the house, they saw the child with Mary, his mother, and they fell to the ground and worshiped him. Him. They didn't fall to the ground and worship her. They worshiped him. Amen. <laughs> Verse 12. It says, And having been warned by God in a dream not to return to Herod, the Magi left for their own country by another way. I liked the video. In fact, I teared up. I didn't expect that. I'd seen that video five times. And when that guy started talking about that king and the way the music changed and his tone, that was good and right. And, and we need to see it like that. It's heavy and dark, this king, that snake of a king. And notice here in this text that God is once again directing these men in ways that are remarkable. So he brought them from their home to Bethlehem to the house where Jesus was by a star. And he sends them back to their home by another route through a dream. This is remarkable. And they follow him. They follow the directions God is giving them in these remarkable, extraordinary ways. You may be thinking in your mind, well, I would follow him too. If he would guide me with stars and dreams, I would be willing to follow him too. But he doesn't do that with me. If that's what's going on in your head, oh, God, just give me stars and dreams. I want to say, phooey to that. You've got something way better than stars and dreams. You've got the word of God. 
breathed out from his mouth, in your hand, in your lap, on your phone. You've got God's very word, inerrant, inspired. You've got it. And you've got the spirit of God in you. That's better than a dream. That's better than a star. You've got God living in you. And you've got the people of God living around you, helping you to understand the word and his leading in your heart. You've got it better than the wise men. So don't think, I would follow him if he'd show me a star. He's giving you his clear word. Follow him. Follow him and don't wait for some sign in the sky. So that's some observations from this story about the Magi. Here are the applications. There will be uh, four of them or so. One of them is super long, so don't get too excited. We're not close to being done. (laughs) Number one, God has always and is still using very interesting means to cause people to search for the truth about Jesus. God has always and is still using very interesting means to cause people to search for the truth about Jesus. John Piper says it really well like this. It'll be on the screen. He says, Jesus is the Messiah, the King of the Jews, and should be honored as such. Like, that's point number one. Jesus is the Messiah, the King of the Jews, and he should be honored as such. Number two, Jesus is to be worshipped, not just by Jews, but by all the nations of the world, as represented by the wise men from the East. Amen to that, right? He is the Savior for the world. I've got good news and great joy for all men. And third... God wields the universe. This is such a good point. God wields the universe to make his son known and worshipped. This is his great goal in all things, that his son would be known and worshipped. And I think every one of those statements is true. And I think we see it in this story, and I am totally convinced that it is still happening around the world right now. And so here's the practical application for you. Number one, pray. Because all of these things are true, pray that he will continue to give visions and dreams to men and women, particularly in Central Asia, that would launch them on a search for the truth. One of the things I'm most excited about when our friends come back from Central Asia is when they get to tell you stories about that kind of stuff happening in their midst, about how nearly every single new convert to Christianity that they have witnessed has started the journey toward Jesus with a dream or a vision. It didn't, they weren't converted in the dream or the vision. They didn't get the whole gospel in the dream or the vision, but they would have some kind of dream, have some kind of vision, have some kind of unexplainable experience that would cause them to be very curious about the Lord Jesus Christ, very curious about the green book. Uh, the, the Bible is green there, uh, all of them, and uh, they would have these visions of the green book. You've got to find the green book. In fact, you'll find the green book in this particular store, and they'll go and they'll find the green book in the store, and it will launch them on this journey just like the wise men to the feet of Jesus so that they can see him and worship him. And some of you may be a little freaked out by that. Some of you may think, whoa, Chris has gone crazy. He's talking about dreams and visions. No, 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 I'm not crazy. It's happening and God is using it. And if that's the way he's going to start people on the journey, I want to pray that he'll start more on the journey. I want to pray that he'll be giving dreams and visions in places where the gospel is not very accessible. Not so that people will be converted in their sleep, but so that they will be launched on a journey to meet Jesus. That's number one. Pray for this. Pray for this with confidence and with boldness and with passion that men and women, particularly men and women in Central Asia, because he seems to be doing it there a lot, would have dreams and visions that would launch them on a search for the truth. Number two, 
pray along with this that God would raise up men and women to go to those places and plant their lives in the midst of difficult places and difficult people so that they can be the proclaimers of the good news for those that God is drawing to himself. Right? So some, some guy in Central Asia has a dream about the green book and he sees some big, big white guy from America walking down, walking down the road carrying the green book. He's like, hey, wait a minute. You know about that book? Yeah, I know about that book. What do you want to know about that book? I want to know everything about that book. And a, a, a guy like our friend can sit down and say, I will tell you everything about Jesus from this book. So we want to pray not only that, that men and women will be launched on this journey to the truth, but there will be men and women who can guide them on that journey to the truth, who can proclaim the good news to those people that God is drawing to himself. Does that make sense? Because otherwise they might just be wandering around, wandering around looking for, looking for someone to tell me about Jesus. Do you know about Jesus? Do you know about Jesus? Do you know about Jesus? I had a dream about this guy. He's tall and he's shiny. And what do I do with him? I don't know. I don't know. We need somebody there who can say, I know. Let me tell you. So pray that God will raise, maybe it's you. Pray that God will be raising up men and women to go to those places to be the proclaimers of the good news. Number three, along with this, pray for our friends. Our friends that we love so much and we know so well as they make their way home for a few months. Like just a few days, they're going to be here. The week, the week after Christmas, in fact, on, on New Year's Eve, they're going to be here. With, like you'll be able to hug them. That's going to be good. And we want to pray for them as they make their way home. It will not be an easy journey. It is not going to be an easy route to get back home. So you pray for them, and you be here to welcome them home. And let me, let me add this too. I so much want to be able to say to them, in front of you all, with you all, on New Year's Eve that morning, we gave $65,000 to Lottie Moon. Like, I want it, maybe this is a dream and a vision. I want to stand here with my arm around him. <laughs> right? I want to stand here with my arm around him and say, look at these brothers and sisters of yours that have been hold, holding the rope for you for four years. They gave $65,000 to Lottie Moon. $65,000 to send families like yours to places like you live. I want to do that. I don't have $65,000, though. But you do. We do, right? That's pretty weak. You think about it. You've got three weeks to think about it. I want to be able to do that. And I think that will encourage their hearts as they spend a few months here and then go back to the, to the dark place. So pray for our friends as they make their way home for a few months and pray for the workers who were there who will stay and pray for the local believers while they are gone, that they will fellowship together and teach one another and walk with the Lord together. This, this picture is a picture of world missions. Like the, the story of the Magi is a story of God bringing people to himself from far away, and he's still doing it today. And so we want to join in that process. We want to participate in that process in prayer. So God has always and is still using very interesting means to cause people to search for the truth about Jesus. So let's join in that by prayer. Number two, in this story, we learn that when Jesus is revealed, there will be varying reactions. When Jesus is revealed, when people have an encounter with Jesus, there will be varying reactions. Some people will reject him. 
Some people will reject him with hatred and disdain and even violence. You heard me say it a minute ago, the spirit of Herod is alive and well on the planet today. Be aware of that. Be aware. Don't be surprised when you speak about Jesus and people hate you for it. Don't be surprised when you go to some places and you speak about Jesus and they try to kill you or they kill you. This is one of the historical reactions to Jesus. There are other people who will be completely indifferent. There are other people that will have an encounter with Jesus as you speak the truth about Jesus and they will not care one bit. And that is as much a rejection of Jesus as a Herod-like rejection of Jesus. To be indifferent to Jesus is to reject Jesus. And I believe this is the greatest danger of living in a place like Harrisburg. As you go around proclaiming the gospel in your work and in your school and in your friendships, you probably won't have very many people threaten you with violence. You probably won't have many people who try to lock you up or kill you. But you will have a lot of people say, that's nice. I don't want to hear anymore, but that's nice. You will have some people that say, I just don't, I'm not, I don't care about that. I just don't care. And what you need to understand is that is every much, every bit as much a rejection of Jesus as Herod's rejection of Jesus. And it's scary because it's so subtle. It doesn't sound bad. You remember, you remember when Jesus has the disciples together and he says, who do men say that I am? And they give all these answers. Well, some say you're John the Baptist, some say you're Elijah, some say you're one of the prophets. Those seem like nice answers, but they're blasphemy. He's not Elijah. He's not one of the prophets. He's not John the Baptist. He's God in the flesh. He's the Savior of the world. To be indifferent about him is to reject him. Maybe that's you today. Maybe that's not your neighbor. Maybe that's you. But others will respond to Jesus by worshiping him like these magi did. And we want to be numbered among that group who have an encounter with Jesus, who rejoice with exceedingly great joy, who fall down, who worship him, and who offer sacrifices. John Piper says, worshiping Jesus means joyfully ascribing authority and dignity to Christ with sacrificial gifts. Worshiping Jesus is, is joyfully ascribing dignity and worth to him and giving sacrificial gifts. And I don't know exactly what those sacrificial gifts look like in your life. Maybe it's time, maybe it's energy, maybe it's money. But to worship him is to give gifts to him. I want to be among that group. I don't want to be indifferent. I don't want to be violently opposed. I want to fall on my face and worship him. What child is this? This child is the king of kings and lord of lords. Amen. What child is this? He's the one who deserves our worship and obedience. So let us bow down and let us serve him. Let's stand together and pray. Father, we're thankful for the way you're moving in places like Central Asia, giving dreams and visions to men and women and boys and girls and launching them on a journey toward Jesus. And we pray that you'll do that more and more. In fact, even now, as many in that part of the world are asleep or getting ready to sleep, we pray that you will even now give them dreams and visions and in the morning they will wake up and search for Jesus. And I pray that you are already and will be raising up men and women who can tell them the truth about who Jesus is who can guide them to the house. And God, I pray when all of that comes together, that they will fall down and worship and believe and follow the Lord Jesus Christ and that you will get all the glory. 
in their redemption. We want to pray for our friends as they make their way home. Guide them, protect them, but more than anything, use them on the journey to be lights in the darkness. And we pray for those who will stay and for the local believers who are there while they're gone, that they will continue to walk closely with you and continue to boldly proclaim the good news. God, we want to be worshipers who rejoice, fall down, worship and give gifts. We want to be those people. So stir our hearts, change our lives. Let us bow down and let us serve the King of kings and Lord of lords. It's in his name we pray these things. Amen.